Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. The last week, really, not a couple of weeks, but just last week, we started talking about the significance of the things that we believe, why we believe them, and how they got there in the first place. And this morning, we're going to be doing a little bit more of that as we're looking at a few stories found in the Old Testament that really point to the power of what we believe and also the responsibility that we have, not just in the present, but in the time to come and in the generations to come. You see, when we talk about belief systems, we're talking about the things that exist inside of us that help us to process what we see and what we experience. And I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I have realized somewhere along the way that the thing that I was believing, the thing that I held to be true, well, maybe it wasn't as true as I thought that it was. Because very often we as kids, we're trying to understand the world around us. We're trying to process situations as we go through them. And sometimes we get it right, but very often we get it wrong. This is the reason why we don't ask a four-year-old for advice on our taxes or, you know, a seven-year-old on what we should do with our future. They have really cool ideas sometimes, but they're not always grounded and founded in reality and truth. And yet, as we know, often we go through life believing the same things that we learned as kids, that we told ourselves or someone else told us. And then those are the very things that help to shape our perception of the world, of ourselves, of God. These are the things that we as believers in Jesus have to be very aware of. And they're the very things that we have to be intentional in identifying and tearing down at the times where the things we believe don't line up with the word of God. There's often in our lives from the moment that we say yes to Jesus, this conflict that becomes very apparent inside of us. We begin to know the truth of who Jesus is, the word that he has spoken. We, we start to know that there's a God who loves us, who cares about us, and yet we have this other element inside of us that has learned from all of our experiences. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, as he talks about the law that has made it very clear to him that he in his own ability would never live up to the standard that God had for him. And what he says is that the closer that he gets to this and the more that he learns about the law, the more he realizes that there is a war going on inside. Verse 23 says, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of of sin that dwells in my members. Where does he say that this battle is going on? It's going on in his mind, in his thinking. And so we have to be aware of what we think, why we think it, and when these ideas that we may have accepted as truth, when they actually formed. Then we want to look at our responsibility and what we're called to do now and how we're meant to address the next generation. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 12, And we're going to start in verse chapter 12. And just a little bit of a a backstory here. We know that the Hebrew people have been enslaved in Egypt. That God raises up this deliverer named Moses. Pharaoh tries to kill him. He's saved. He's raised up. He's sent out. He comes back after God speaks to him from a burning bush. And he goes to Pharaoh 
and he says these words, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, absolutely not. We've got a good thing going here. I've got dreams. I've got a vision for what this is going to look like. This is our economy. We're not letting your people go. So God says, okay, well, we're going to send some plagues. And we know the story. He sends plague after plague after plague. And then finally they arrive here in verse 12 where this is going to be the final plague. This is going to be the moment where everything is going to come to its climax. And we pick it up in verse 12. It says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So God is going to come and he's going to do something very severe. It's going to be the final statement in this chapter as the people of Israel are preparing to be delivered out of Egypt. And we pick it up again in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders to them, and he gives them the instructions as we read through here, that they are to kill a Passover lamb, they are to spread the blood on the lintels and the doorposts, on the frame of their door, and that when they do this, the night of Passover will come, but the Spirit will pass over their home, and if the blood is present, God will see the blood, and they will not be affected by this plague. And so this, this spirit comes through and it actually kills the firstborn of every Egyptian. And it says in verse 24, this really important verse that I want us to see. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. What God is doing here in this moment is he is preparing to deliver the children of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, but he's also looking not just to the present, he's looking to the future. And there are two things we have to see here. Number one, this picture of the Passover lamb being slain and the blood being shed and, and put on the doorposts, this was a picture of who Jesus would be for us. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb and that he had been sacrificed. That when we accept Jesus into our hearts, that the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross is actually what covers us. And what God sees when he looks at us is the perfection of Jesus, the greatest sacrifice that could have ever been given. You see, he was giving us a picture of what would be to come. But it wasn't just that, as incredible as that is. He was also giving them something that would be more important in their moments to come in the Old Testament. It was an act of intentionality and symbolism where God was looking not just at the present, but he was looking at the past and the future. So we read in verses 25 to 27, it says, And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So I want us to see what's taking place here. 
What Moses is doing is he's actually setting up a memorial day before the act ever takes place. If you think about all of the things that we celebrate in our lives, holidays, memorial days, whatever it is, it's always based off of something that has already happened. It's based off of a life that was lived that should be honored. It was based off of a moment in time, uh, an independence that was won. But here, God is speaking to them before it actually happens, and he's telling them, I want you to look at this day to remember it and to realize that year after year after year, you're going to return back to this miracle that I'm going to perform. You see, there was something that God was doing in this that wasn't just for then, but it was going to be for the generations that would come after them. And that's really important for us to see here. Verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. What we always have to understand is that God is very present in working in the moment that we find ourselves in right now, but he is never limited to this time. He's never limited to coming through for us in a situation that we're encountering right now because in the goodness and the bigness of God, he's looking at right now, but he's also looking at our future. He's looking at the situation that's in front of us, but he is also preparing us for the place that he's called us to walk into. For the Hebrew people, this would of course be the promised land. He was calling them to walk into the promised land. And so this plague takes place. God does what he said that he would do. He spares the people of Israel. Pharaoh finally says, okay, guys, get out of here. I've had enough of the flies, the, the frogs, the blood, the darkness, all of this stuff. It's time for you guys to go. But before they leave, what do they do? They go to their neighbors. They collect. They get a blessing. They get all the gold of Egypt on the way out. Time for their trouble. They get out of there. And what is the first thing that they come up against as soon as they get out of Egypt? The Red Sea. The obstacle. They listen to God. They follow his promise. They pursue what he's called them to do. And what are they met with? A challenge immediately. Can we recognize in our lives when God speaks something to us that very often on the other side of that, when we say yes, there is going to be a challenge to the very thing that God has spoken? And yet sometimes we hear God speak, we step out in faith, we meet, meet a challenge and we're like, oh wait, I must have heard wrong. That wasn't God. Like if it, if it was God, it would be smooth sailing. Everything would come together perfectly. There would be the nice music that would accompany me as, as I walk, like the walk-up theme song for the batter going through. Everything would be perfect, right? No, they meet the challenge right away. But what happens? God called them out. He brings them to that place. Moses, in obedience, lifts up his staff. And what happens? A miracle. The water is parted. A million plus people leave Egypt, walk across the dry ground into the next stage, which would be on their way to the land of promise. See, God performs this miracle for them, which is incredible, except that if we know the story, they go into the next stage of life. They murmur, they mumble, they complain. God's done everything for them. He's provided for them, and yet it's not good enough. We looked at the verse last week where it says that they would never enter into his rest because God made it possible for them, but they kept hardening their hearts and questioning God's goodness. 
And so we know the story is that then the result of this is that they will not be the generation that will enter into the promised land. That that would be the generation that would stay in the wilderness for 40 years. That the 40 years would go by and then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 2. It tells us that when all the men of war had died, that now it was time for them to continue on their journey. It's now at the point where all those who were meant to fight the battle had passed away that now they were going to re-engage in the call that God had for them. So God raises up a new leader in Joshua. He raises him up and he tells him to be strong and very courageous. I want you to be strong and very courageous. I want you to lead. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And he calls him to be their new leader. And he takes the children of Israel, and he walks into the next season. But this is a question that I have for you because sometimes when we know the story really well, we don't think about all the details. And so my question today is, who is it exactly that would follow Joshua into the promised land? It was the kids, the children, those whom God had instructed, the people who had observed the Passover, it was that next generation that would be the generation that was now called to enter into the place of promise. You see, God had this plan for the people of Israel, but when he was speaking to them, even in Egypt, he was preparing not just them, but for the generation that would come after them to be able to pick up the mantle, to be able to pick up the baton, and to go into what was next. But what was required? That they taught their children about the goodness of God. What was required of the parents? That year after year after year, as they walked through the wilderness, that they remembered the goodness of God. That every moment that they walked through the wilderness in very less than ideal circumstances, that they would continue to see that God provided for them that he led them through the desert in the wilderness, that their shoes didn't wear out, that their clothes didn't get holes in it, that they continued to walk and they were led by fire in the day or at night and the smoke and the cloud by, by day and they were able to see his provision. What was God doing? He was preparing the next generation to walk into the place that he had called them to walk into. But this is why those words are so important when he said, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? That you tell them about who I am and you tell them about what I have done. You see, it was those who were the children of the Passover that would walk into the, the promised land. It was those who God instructed to be taught about his goodness and his provision and his miraculous power that would step into the place that they had believed for for decades. See, this is why for us we have to understand that we have a responsibility for now. But it is not just a responsibility for now. It is a responsibility for those who will come after us. It is a responsibility to the next generation and to the generation after that to continue to teach them, to instruct them, to lead them, and to tell them about the goodness of God and what he has done in our lives so that they know and expect his goodness, regardless of the challenge that they face. You see, what God was doing was he was making sure that they established inside of them the right belief systems from a young age. See, their parents may have had this belief system at one point, but they became a little bit too familiar with Egypt. 
You see, they had every opportunity to say yes to God. When the spies went into the promised land to know that God was calling them and that he would provide for them, and yet they had become a little bit too comfortable in relying on the systems of this world. When they were in the wilderness, they said, Moses, why did you take us out here? Did you just take us out to the wilderness to die? Can't we just go back to Egypt? At least there we knew what food we were going to get. At least there we had some normalcy. So they wanted to go back into slavery before following and trusting in God. So when they went through the wilderness and those men from the previous generation had passed away, what God was doing was establishing in them a trust and a reliance on his goodness. He was establishing in them a belief system about who he was and what he would do for them. And that's exactly what he would do. So we get to this next portion of the story and we see this man named Joshua emerge. Joshua who had walked with Moses, a man that Moses had invested in personally. He was there on the mountain when God spoke. Joshua was not unaware of who God was. He heard from God and he was the one that was going to walk with the next generation. I have to tell you today that there is another generation that is going to come after us and we have a responsibility to invest in them. That this next generation, it matters. I heard it said that the next generation is not the generation only of tomorrow, but they, they are the generation of today. They are the generation that God wants to equip. Sometimes, and I'm not saying anyone in this room does this, but we look at the kids like, okay, the kids are fine. They'll figure it out. They'll get their bumps and their bruises. Eventually, they're going to learn. But who knows that we, as the body of Christ, need to be much more intentional about developing about instructing, and about raising our children to know who God is. That we have to be obedient to know that the next generation, they're going to ask us questions. What are we going to tell them? So we get to Joshua chapter 1, and we see at the very beginning, he does tell him to be strong and very courageous. They send the spies into the land of Jericho. They find out that it's a good land, once again, that they're going to go in, that they're going to take it over. And we get to chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. All right, so the generation comes out of Egypt. The men of war die. The next generation is here. They hear the voice of God. They're going into the promised land. And what are they met with? another challenge. They're met with another obstacle. Those who had gone before them were met with the Red Sea, and now they're standing at the brink of the Jordan River. But you want to know something? I truly believe this, that when Joshua stood at the brink of the Jordan River, he didn't look at it as a challenge. I believe that he looked at it as an opportunity for God to show up for this next generation that they had seen him move in the wilderness, but now they were going to begin to see him move in a way that was greater than what they had experienced up to that point. That they were going to see once again the waters part. They were going to see the way that God was calling them to walk into. I joked in the first service that a lot of us would really like to have a sign as clear as the water parting to show us the direction that we want to go. Right? We would love to see something as clear in front of us as this is the way, walk ye in it. 
But do we know that the same God that parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River, the same God that is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that lives inside of us is calling us to go into a place, the promised land, the place where he's called us to go into? You see, they go to the edge of the Jordan River and verse 16 says, And the people passed over opposite Jericho, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had passed over the Jordan. These children of God, the children of the captives of Egypt, were able to see for themselves the miracle that they had been taught since they were kids. They saw for themselves the work of God. Once again, what we teach and talk to our children about is so vitally important. But I have to tell you something today is that it can't just stop there. We have the first responsibility to our kids, to our nieces, to our nephews, to our cousins, to the children of this church. But in order for us to truly teach the children what they need to know, in order for us to truly speak to our children and to tell them to expect God to do incredible things, who knows that we ourselves have to truly believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. That in order for us to teach our children with authenticity and conviction for what we believe, we have to know it for ourselves. We have to know and believe that the God of the Bible, the same God who performed the miracles for the children of Israel, is the same God who lives inside of us and desires to bring about things that we have never seen, that we've never even believed, that there are things that we're going to be able to experience in our lifetime. The problem, though, the challenge, the Red Sea, if you will, that often stands in front of us is that I don't know if we always fully believe it. It's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't believe in his goodness. It's just that to get to the place of expectation, it's a whole nother ballgame. That when we talk about belief systems, when we talk about the things that we believe and the way that we see the world and the way that our perceptions are being shaped, it's through these belief systems that we've had since we were kids. And if we are not aware of any thought or idea, of any stronghold in our mind that stands against the truth of the word of God, we will consistently walk into situations believing that God is good, but still questioning whether or not he's going to do what he said that he would do. You see, what we have to do as believers in Jesus is to recognize what we think and maybe why we think it. It's to invite the Holy Spirit into those places as the one who leads us and guides us into all truth to recognize any place where we've put our trust in Egypt instead of in God. To understand when we walk into a situation that there is something present inside of us that is leading us to what our next step is going to be. What is that belief system? What is that thought? What is that thing that comes up inside of us when we're faced with a challenge? Is it, am I good enough? And am I worthy enough to be used by God? Is it, did I do enough to be able to, to receive what God has for me? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I pray enough? Did I say all the right things? Oh man, I watched that thing two weeks ago and I didn't repent. Is God going to come? Is he going to come through for me? 
Is it a checklist of our own ability or is it a reliance on what Jesus has done for us? Is it a, is it a belief system that is based off of the ideas and the ideologies of this world and Egypt about who our provision is, about where we need to invest, on what we need to do in order to find security? Or is it in the understanding that Jesus himself lives inside of me? You see, if we have belief systems inside of us, and I have to say this today, we all do, that speak something different than what Jesus is speaking, if they speak something different from what the Word of God says to us about the nature and the person of God, then we will sabotage ourselves before we ever even get to the outcome. And then when we come to our kids to talk to them, we can tell them all the best stories we know how to tell them. But do we believe what we're saying or not? I know this is challenging here today, but this is me speaking to myself too. There are times where I enter into a situation and my first thought is, how in the heck am I going to make this work? How am I going to make it through this situation? How am I going to fix this thing that's in front of me? You see, any belief system that points back to me is not a belief system that points back to him, which means that the outcome is going to be based out of my own strength, my own ability, my own understanding, instead of the miraculous power of God. Do you know why we call it the miraculous power of God by any chance? It's not just that it's a lot of power. It's not that it's just enough power for what we need. It's called the miraculous power of God because sometimes it takes a miracle to see him come through in a place that we can never do on our own. But is our faith on the miraculous power of God or is it on the know-how, the understanding, the wisdom, my bank account, what I know to do? We have to understand what it is that we think and what it is that we believe in order then to teach our children and the next generation, not just in words, but in action. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is why when God speaks to Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, he gives him this instruction. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We have to allow the truth of the word of God to not just enter into our minds conceptually, but it must be something that we hold valuable, that we meditate on, that we allow to come into those places and to stand as the standard against our own thoughts, against our own thinking. Sometimes we think our thinking is so superior, and I'm sure that's the case because if not, we wouldn't think it. But how do we know that our thinking is flawed unless we hold it up against the standard of the truth of what God has spoken? This is crucial for us to meditate and to know the truth of the Word of God. This is something that I know to be true, that the more that we do this, 
the more that we look at who he is and what he has done, the more we begin to expect his power and provision. You know, this is once again my biggest challenge. In the midst of the obstacle to return back to him and to remind myself of who he is. Because when I remind myself of who he is, whatever the challenge is, has to take its rightful place way down the list. If I see who God is and I remember his goodness and his power, if I remember that I serve and I am a son of the the most high God, everything else has to start to take its rightful place. Once again, it comes down to our thinking. Sorry, I don't have a clock up there today, guys. I might go long. You see, we have challenges that come up, but we need to know the source. We need to know the source of our power, the source of what it is that we're called to walk in. And I want to encourage you today that if you do not read your Bible on a daily basis, you really need to start. And I say that with no religiosity. I I said that word in the first service. I don't know if it's real. We need to know the truth of what the Word of God says. We need to be reading this to our children. We need to be talking to our kids and to the next generation about what it is that God has said, but we have to start here. And we may want to prioritize it above other things, which I'm not going to mention here today, like Facebook and Instagram and Netflix and YouTube and and Twitter and Google and the news and everything else that we put in there. We need to prioritize His truth and His Word above all else. So that the first thing we do when we see the challenge is that we speak his words instead of our own. Joshua chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. The people of Israel, they cross the Jordan River on dry ground and what does Joshua tell them to do? They see the miracle and he says, I want you to get a stone that represents every tribe of Israel. I want you to set up a monument on the other side. Why does he do this? He does this very clearly because he says in verse 6, when your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. What was the purpose of the monument? So that when their children asked them the question, they were able to speak to the goodness of God. Who knows kids ask a lot of questions? A lot of questions. Their questions have questions. And the answers that you give to your questions produce more questions. This is my, my drive home, drive into school every single day, and I love it. But what Joshua is doing is setting up the children that are to come and the generations that are to come to know the truth of what God has done. He wanted to give them a visual reminder of what it is that he was doing and what he was saying. And this is intentional because God knows that from a young age, these belief systems are starting. These belief systems are being implemented. This is where we have to get to our kids. Last year at a local conference, I was asked to talk about some of the biggest challenges and changes in culture that were affecting our kids. Some of them were very stupid, like kids eating dishwasher pods and sometimes lighting themselves on fire, intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know. But in that, in that talk, I talked about the law of first mention. The law of first mention, we could put the definition up on the screen. 
says that to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must first find the place in the scripture that it's revealed and then study that passage. So basically the first time that we read a word chronologically in the word of God, it's at that point in that context that we understand what that word means going forward. If we extend this out to our kids, what we have to realize is that when we speak to our kids, whoever does first, it's that first mention on that topic that gives them their understanding from that point forward. The question is, who is getting to our kids first? Whose voice are they hearing first? Are they hearing my voice first or are they hearing Elmo's voice first? Are they hearing my voice first or are they hearing the influencer on TikTok that wants to tell them about what is right and what is wrong? Is it me as a parent? Is it us as a church congregation? Is it the word of God that is being spoken to them that is establishing that truth? Or is it the culture of this world that dictates what is true and what is not? I have to tell you, growing up, there were a lot of things I wasn't allowed to watch or listen to, and I hated every second of it. I wanted to listen to what my friends were listening to. I wanted to watch what my friends were watching. But guess what? I survived. Somehow I made it through my childhood not watching all of those shows. Parents, I don't care how much your kids complain. I don't care how much they demand a cell phone, internet access, social media access. It is your responsibility to protect your children. We have to understand that it lies in our jurisdiction. When your kids don't want to go to church, well, maybe sometimes that's just too bad. When your kids want to listen to what they want to listen to and watch what they want to watch, maybe sometimes it's just too bad. Because we understand that there is an attack of the enemy against the children of our nation right now. That there is an attack of the enemy to bring the culture of the world and to invest it in our kids so that they learn and know the truth of the world instead of the truth of God. So when they face a situation, they have this dual understanding of what God said and what the world says. The world wants the world's understanding to be at the highest priority. The world wants tolerance of every level. This is not even hidden anymore. We don't say these things just for effect. Disney has come out and said, we are going to introduce characters that are going to influence and implement our truth and our value to your kids. And they have. Netflix does the same thing. We've got all of these uh, places of the world that want to instill their values in our kids. And we're told in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not depart from it. But our kids are being targeted, sometimes by target. (laughs) The schools that we send our kids to, the curriculums that they're being taught, the decisions that are being made on the highest levels of, of government about what education should be. The opening questioning about gender and sexuality and the adoption of inclusiveness and the language that removes terms like mom and dad and boy and girl. And they make it sound so nice and pretty. And so this is, we're doing it because we love people. Meanwhile, we're removing all boundaries, pulling down standards and changing the identification that God has given to us and changing the English language 
to be able to weaponize it against our children. And guess what? When that happens, it turns around and often the children end up influencing the parents. We have to be aware of what is going on in the world around us and the seriousness of our responsibility to the next generation. And if that were not bad enough, and this would be funny if it wasn't so stupid, apparently two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. Because even math is, let me make sure I get this right, the result of white supremacist patriarchy. Listen, I didn't like math very much. I wasn't very good at math. But to go that far seems a little bit extreme. John MacArthur said this, what we're facing today is fierce, I will confess. But of all the things that disturb me in the culture, of all the horrific, sinful, wretched, wicked, corrupt influences that go on in this culture, I think the thing that distresses me the most is the war on children. This culture is weaponized to destroy children, he added. It's systematically designed to do that. Once again, we have to understand what our responsibility is. We have to know the significance of reaching our children when they are young. The Barna Group put out these statistics that say that two-thirds of Christians came to faith before the age of 18. It's important that we reach our kids 43% of them came to Christ before the age of 12, and less than a quarter of current believers came to Christ after the age of 21. Do we believe that God can do anyone and reach anybody wherever they are, no matter what age they are? Absolutely. Do we also recognize that there is an importance of investing in our children from when they are very young with the truth of the Word of God and not allowing the world to be the ones that babysit them? See, we have to be the ones that... When they come to us and say, what does this mean, mommy and daddy? We have an answer for them. And unfortunately, in today's day and age, to be the ones that are preemptive in these conversations. It's hard to say when it's too early to have some of these conversations now. Because we just don't know. See, we have to be prepared to invest in this next generation. We have to be willing to be the ones who teach them. The greatest teaching, it begins at home. From the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed and everything in between. The conversations we have with them, the conversations we have in front of them, they matter. The shows that we let them watch, the books that we let them read, once again, it's our job to protect them. And this applies to the place that they go to for learning as well. In complete honesty, the farther we get down this road, the bigger advocate I become for homeschooling for teaching our children at home, for making sure that we know what they believe. But I also recognize that this is not always possible for everybody. So what we need to do is have places and institutions where they're going to be protected and where they're going to be safe. Our school, Faith Christian Academy, for the last 47 years, has been providing a Christian Bible-based education where we choose to protect our children from the influences of the world and to teach the Word of God. I'm a byproduct of FCA. My siblings are, my kids are, many in this room are across the generations. And I'm so proud of what we've been able to produce and what's come out of our school in cooperation with the parents, in partnership 
with the influences in their life that are meant to be there. And I really believe that what God is doing in this time is he's continuing to use us to be able to invest in our kids. To not uh, Protecting them is so important, and I want to make sure that I, I say that. We want to protect them. But we don't want to stop there. We want to invest in them. We want to equip them. We want to empower them to be able to go into the world and to carry the truth of the word of God, to carry the skills that they need to be successful academically in the business world, but importantly and most importantly, in their relationship with Jesus. This is what we are devoted to doing. This is what our school board is devoted to doing. Our teachers who give and invest so much, who work, who give so much of their time and effort for so much less than what they could be paid elsewhere. Can we just thank our teachers here for a moment? See, we have a purpose, and this was something that God instilled. In the same way that God said to, to the children of Israel, I want you to set these things in place so that the next generation will be equipped. We want to make sure that the next generation is equipped and the next generation after that. And we've got work to do, parents. We've got work to do. We've got stuff that we need to, to look at and understand that's going on in the world around us. We want to be more effective. We want to ask for the Holy Spirit to give us the guidance and the wisdom that we need to equip them properly. And we need your prayer. We need your prayer. We need you to be willing to and intentional about lifting up our kids to know that God has a plan and purpose for their life, to know that there is an attack of the enemy, but greater is he that lives inside of our children, inside of us, than he that is in the world. I want to ask you today if you would commit to pray for our kids. But I also need to say that we need your help financially as well. We need your help to be able to meet some of our, our goals, our needs, and yes, deficits. And there will be an email that will go home to many this week. If you don't get it, you can request it. That will give some more of the details about what it is that we're facing. But we do need, we need your help. We believe in what God is doing. We believe that he wants to do more. But often God calls us as his children, as his body, as his church, to be the ones that would step up to invest. And so I don't say this in the way to manipulate in any way, but I do ask today that you would pray. To ask if God would put it on your heart to invest in our school. If God would put it on your heart to invest maybe a one-time gift or maybe something that would be a continual gift that you can do on a monthly basis. But I believe that if we take this seriously, someone said it recently at a school board meeting, said it's no longer an option. We, the church, we, the people of the church, we need to know what is at stake here. We're not the only answer but we are believing that we will be an answer that God has called us to be, to reach and to invest and to be able to protect these kids and the next generation for all God has called them to do. We want to reach young men and women for Jesus.